Hi everybody, this is Cheryl Richardson and I'm here for our weekly Facebook Live session. Um, I'm going to wait a couple minutes for people to join. Thanks for being here with me and uh, I know some of you are going to watch this after the fact so if I don't get to your question or if I don't respond it probably means it's past the time that I've been here. So for those of you that don't know who I am, um, I'm a writer and a coach and a teacher. I've written lots of books on self-care. Hi Terry, welcome. And Michelle, welcome. Um, my most recent book is called uh, Waking Up in Winter in Search of What Really Matters at Midlife. And it's a, um, it's a journal, it's a memoir in journal form about the, the passage that we go through at midlife. Hi, Ryan from London. Welcome. It's a little late there, huh? Oh, no, it's actually, I don't think your clocks have changed yet, so it's not too bad. And Sarah, welcome. Nice to see you here. Hi, Terry and Tara. Um, <laughs> thank you, Tara. She says, I love your hair in the fireplace. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, very sweet. Uh, Marilyn, welcome from sunny Seattle. You know, it, it was sunny all day here. Um, I often think of Seattle as similar to our weather, weather here. It was a beautiful day. It was about 40 degrees. It was sunshine, and tomorrow we're getting another snowstorm. Surprise, surprise. Um, hey, Sarah, welcome, and Elizabeth and Tim. Hi, Tim from Newburyport. Welcome. You're just my next-door neighbor. We're both getting um, uh, snow. Brian says, hope your throat feels better. Yes, it does. Yes, <laughs> it does. Hi, Deborah and Darcy. I had to stop for a minute, Ryan, because I thought, do I sound funny? Um, but no, I think I'm good. And Mary Kay, welcome. Thank you, Mary Kay. Says, wonderful book. I appreciate that. And hi, Victoria and Julie. Um, yeah, thanks, Julie. I did a podcast with Jessica Ortner, who I love, and um, we had a great time. We always do. Hi, Becky. Hey, Greg. How are you, Greg? Nice to see you here. It's been a while. Um, Sarah, when you say midlife, just wondering, meaning, what are you wondering? I'm talking about traditionally midlife is, you know, let's say when you turn 50 or older. Um, it doesn't mean, I guess it, you know, I really what I say is midlife is whatever it means to you. For me, when I turned 50, I felt like, Okay, this is sort of midlife, I guess, huh? And what am I going to do with that? Um, that was for me. Now I'm 58, and um, I feel like this is midlife. <laughs> so who knows? When I turn 70, I might feel like that's midlife. And they say that, that sort of midlife is changing. The dates, actually, the ages are changing. Hi, Kathleen. Welcome from Vermont. And Ingrid, hi. And... Um, Thank you, Debbie, uh, who says, I loved waking up in winter. So helpful to have you say what I'm feeling. Oh, I'm so glad about that. I appreciate that. You know, a lot of people have said that. Not everybody. Not everybody gets it. Some people just think, what the hell is she writing about? Like, <laughs> or, or how could her life be so bad? I mean, you know, all of those things that I sort of expected. But I knew that there would be a certain population of people who would get it. And... Um, you know, who would be, who could relate to it. That's really what I want to say, and I'm glad that you could. Hi, Barbara. Thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying it, too. And Lori, thank you. Hi, Hiderno, Hiderno, and Rochelle. Ra it's Rochelle, not Rachel. Yeah, Rochelle. Hi, welcome. <laughs> and hi, Sarah. Welcome to you, and Adrian, and Anki.
Okay. And Bonnie, happy spring. Yeah, so today's the first day of spring. It's my favorite day of the year. It always has been, like for a long, long time. It's the day that I finish in waking up in winter. It's the last journal entry is the first day of spring in that year. And um, yeah, it was a gorgeous um, first day of spring day today. I went out for a walk and uh, at midday, I had a really busy day. I got up early, uh, had some things I had to do, had to go to a meeting, came back, was on the phone in the car. It was just like one of those kind of crazy days. And um, I got back uh, to the office. There was a whole bunch of things I needed to do. I felt like everybody needed a piece of me. Ever feel that way, people? And um, I felt really, suddenly I went to the bathroom and I remember I came out of the bathroom and I thought, God, I just felt like I was in some kind of a slump. Like I just suddenly felt low energy, frustrated, uh, in a slump and um, just kind of yeah, just I guess slump is the best word for it. So what I thought I would do tonight is spend a little bit of time in the beginning before I take your questions talking about what how to get unstuck or how to lift yourself out of a slump or um, just a, a dip in your energy, maybe a low mood. Uh, I thought that might be kind of a fun thing to do. I made a little list here of some of the things that I do when I'm in that place. I did one of them this afternoon that I'm going to talk about. So when you're feeling, um, you know, you might be going through, uh, I just thought of another one. Hold on, I want to write it down. So you might, you might have a busy day too, or there just may be something tough going on in your life. Like, you know, still, as I grieve the loss of Poupon, my little cat, uh, I find at any time of the day, I can just get hit with a wave of sadness or grief and, um, and just wind up like literally just zoop, my mood just dives and for the most part I've learned to just give myself that space have a good cry feel whatever I'm feeling and when I do that I sort of move on from that um, sometimes no sometimes I feel stuck in it and I have to go about my life or I've got work I need to do or um, a class I'm teaching or a phone call I have to make and so I sometimes feel stuck in that place and I've really sort of cultivated a list of things that I do to get unstuck, to lift myself out of a low mood, or to um, pick myself up out of a slump. And so I want to talk about some of those things with, you, with all of you. And I would love for you to, as you listen to me offer some of these suggestions, please feel free to put in the comments section what you do to get unstuck or to get out of a slump. Okay. So here's my list. Um, today what I did when I came home and I knew I was feeling frustrated. It was one of those days of like, Jesus, I have no time for me. You know, I'm not, I need time for me. Like just one of those moments. Like I feel like everybody wants a piece of me and I need some time just for me. So it was very easy for me to say, yeah, but I've got to make this phone call. I've got to get this thing, this project completed. I made this promise that I have to fulfill. This person needs me. I need to call them. And here's the beauty of midlife. And this is really, it's so much what I'm talking about in waking up in winter. When you reach a point in your life where you realize you got a limited amount of time here and 
at some point you have to decide that your needs are a priority over the world. Um, especially if you're somebody who has a tendency to overgive. So in that moment, I stopped, I took a deep breath, and I asked myself, sweetheart, what do you need right now? Like, what would really make you feel better right now? And I think that's an important question for all of us to get in the habit of asking ourselves, especially, you know, hopefully you ask it before you feel frustrated and resentful. But when you, even if you do, you stop and you just say, okay, sweetheart, that's how I talk to myself. I try to be really sweet with myself. Sweetheart, what do you need right now? What would make you happy? And I instantly knew it was a beautiful day. It wasn't that cold. I knew we were going to get hit with a storm tomorrow. And I just wanted to be outside. And it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I had a meeting at 3.30 here at the house. And I felt squished. Like I thought, oh, I really don't have time to do this. But then I also remembered that I said a year ago that my health, my body was going to be a priority over 95% of the things in my life, just my physical and emotional health. So I said, the hell with it. Everything can wait. Nobody's going to die. People might be pissed off. People might be frustrated. People might be feel impatient. No one's going to die if I just stop and go out for a walk. And it's exactly what I did. I just, I put on my sneakers. I put on a coat. I threw my hair up in a ponytail and went outside for a 45 minute walk. And I listened to the birds. I got to hear an owl in the middle of the day, which is rare. I don't, I very, I, I've never seen an owl in the middle of the day. Well, once. But I heard an owl hooting. I uh, saw squirrels playing. I got to listen to other birds. It was a bird that was following me and I had no idea, um, no idea. It was making, it was singing a song I'd never heard before. But I was really paying attention to what does the earth feel like under my feet? What does the breeze feel like on my skin? How, you know, how's the temperature on my face? Um, just noticing what am I hearing? What am I smelling? Uh, I remember walking by, we have a little brook. We have several little brooks along this walking path that I do. Listening, stopping and listening to the water running in the brook. All of these things allow us, really bring us into the present moment. This is, this is what my butt feels like in the chair. This is what, you know, the temperature in the room, like just noticing what's true for you right here in this moment automatically brings you into the present moment. So I went out for a walk for 45 minutes and walked up and down hills, um, uh, just, just got out and it completely changed the energy so that by the time I came home, I felt clear headed. I was ready for my meeting. I had about 20 minutes before my meeting. Um, I got myself some protein, another great thing to do to lift yourself out of a slump or a low mood. Ask yourself, where can I get a hit of just really good protein right now? That's, that's um, one of the things that will snap the brain out of a coma, especially if, you are, um, if your tendency is to go to carbohydrates and sugar when you're feeling like you're in a slump, and a lot of people do that. Instead, if you just look, for, you know, eat some almonds or, um, uh, you know, a salad of good vegetables that has protein in it, um, turkey jerky, uh, that's, you know, really, um, high levels of protein. Sometimes I'll make myself a protein shake with, um, um, I use garden of life plant protein. I like their protein cause it has no flavor and I can mix flavors in with it. So just doing, giving yourself some kind of protein, but being out outside absolutely changed my mood.
Other things that I'll do, uh, as, as I mentioned, eating protein, taking a shower. The body has an energy field. We know this. This is not woo-woo and it's not new age. It's actually science. The body has an energy field. And let's say you were at a meeting for work that just wasn't that comfortable. You're just, you know, you were like tired or frustrated. Or let's say you had a difficult conversation with someone or you're just feeling in a low mood. If you get into the shower and you just wash the body's energy field along with the body, even if you just go in, you know, put your hair up and just shower off your body, can take three minutes and it automatically clears the energy field of the body and will make you feel better, can give you more energy. I also do things like change the sheets on the bed or sometimes change my clothes. So obviously if I'm not going to bed, but I'm feeling like I'm in a funk, sometimes I'll go and I'll change my, the clothes that I'm wearing. Just get out of the clothes. I imagine that they've got the old energy on them. I want fresh energy, so I just put the clothes aside. Um, my brother Stephen for Christmas gave me this really kutchy, uh, like fleece jacket like, to wear around the house. It's kind of like, a, it's like wearing a polar bear, <laughs> a really soft polar bear. And sometimes I'll just put on really, really comfy clothes so that it's a way of saying to myself, it's all right. It's okay, sweetheart. Let's get comfortable. Let's let's just change the energy in that way. Um, going out for a ride, I think also just take a ride and drive someplace beautiful. Uh, you know, someplace where you can see beauty. If if you're in the city, you might even you know drive by a park or drive by architecture that you really love or some kind of a scene that really um, speaks to you. And you can also put on some great music. Music will automatically change your state. My friend Bob Olson, who I've spoken about here before, recently gave me such a special gift. He took a thumb drive and put together a compilation of music for me, some of his favorite songs. Now, it's kind of like the old mixtapes. Remember when, <laughs> for those of you that are around my age and you remember cassettes, you used to be able to make mixtapes where you would put, you know, a whole bunch of different songs on a tape. Well, now you can do it very easily on a thumb drive, just dragging and dropping digital music. And so Bob made me, as a gift, there was like, there's something like 100 songs or 120 songs on this thumb drive. And I have it in the car. And I listen to it every time I get in the car. And the music, um, first of all, it makes me think of Bob. I smile. I feel loved and cared for. The music is beautiful. There's so many songs on there uh, with uh, of artists that I've never heard. Like, I may know the artist but not know the song or um, a completely, you know, new artist I'd never heard of before. Uh, but, you know, Bob is one of my dearest friends, so we're a lot alike, and therefore a lot of his music just really speaks to me. And every song is a surprise, because I don't know what's coming. So taking a ride and listening to music, which also leads to dancing. I used to always put on, there was a certain record that Alanis Morissette did. Alanis is a dear friend of mine, and I love her music. And um, there was um, one record that she made... Uh, it's like two records ago, and I forget the, um, it was after her, after a breakup, and I, I forget the name of the record, but that and also um, uh, Bright, Havoc and Bright Lights, um, she's got great music, and so I used to just pop in her CD or, you know, um, hit play on my digital playlist of her music and just dance around my kitchen or dance around, even for 10 minutes. 
It absolutely will. Yeah, Jagged Little Pill is awesome. <laughs> I love that too. That's a great record. Um, but just dancing, moving your body. Um, you just can't help but feel better after that. Or smiling. I can't tell you how many times I put this in this week's blog when I made a list of daily self-care habits. How many times I will remind myself to just smile. Like, I'll be working and I'll go. And instantly I feel better. It's like the smile just sort of lifts your mood. So um, smiling can be another way to, it, it tricks your, your mind. Your body says, I'm happy, I'm upbeat, I'm awake, I'm alive. And often the mind follows. Um, let's see, I said go for a drive. Sometimes just having a good cry is exactly what you need. Now, a lot of times people will say to me, I have a hard time crying. And I know that I used to a long time ago because now I don't have a hard time crying. Um, <clears throat> sometimes it can really help to watch a sad movie um, or listen to a sad song uh, just to kind of prime the pump and get you going. Uh, but I do find that after you, um, after you give yourself a little bit of time to just sort of let the tears flow, they'll flow for as long as they need to and then they'll stop. And sometimes, especially if you're grieving, like, you know, I've, I've learned now that when I think about Poupon and I start to just, you know, in the beginning, I used to just try and stop myself from crying. And sometimes it's, it's difficult if I've got to go to a meeting and I, you know, have mascara on or something and I know, oh God, if I start crying in the car, I'm just going to like have these black lines on my face. So I bring makeup with me now. Um, but sometimes I'll just, I'll, I just know that I need a, I need to stop and cry. And by doing so, it sort of washes away the energy again, and then I am um, I'm feeling better and feeling like I'm able to move on. So um, doing that is another way to get unstuck. Calling a friend. Now, a friend who really loves you and supports you and listens to you, not a friend who tells you what you have to do or um, uh, gives you unsolicited advice, or tells you what you're doing wrong, let's say, but somebody who can really listen, someone that you feel safe enough with and comfortable enough with to call and say, you know what, I'm just in a funky mood and I wondered if you could do me a favor and just listen while I kind of talk out what's going on for me so I can figure out what's happening. A lot of times we just need a safe, loving place to be able to talk about how we feel in order to connect with what's going on underneath the slump or the stuckness or the low mood. So calling a dear friend that you're able to do that with can make all the difference in the world. And um, I think it's really important. It's one of the things that will get me into action. I'm thinking about last week, I had a very difficult situation where um, an old friend, somebody I haven't seen in years, um, kind of came out of the woodwork in crisis and wanted to connect with me. And um, and she's in real crisis. And I haven't seen her in a very long time. And I was really struggling because I, I have a limited amount of energy right now to support people because I'm in my own grief process. And I've learned that grieving takes a lot of energy. And it takes a lot of emotional energy and physical energy. And I've got to be I've got to be mindful of that with myself. And so I was really struggling with what to do in that situation. 
and I was feeling really stuck. And so I ended up contacting a really good friend of mine who I, I trust and who's very thoughtful and can listen really well and doesn't give unsolicited advice. And I was able to talk the situation through with her and um, gain some real clarity that I needed in order to get unstuck and to know what it was I needed to do in order to take care of myself. So I think sometimes that's a really wonderful thing to do is to pick up the phone and call somebody who um, could really support you with that. Uh, let me just see. Um, yeah, so Terry says, yes, I need to listen more and not always try to help and save people. I hear you, Terry, because I do... My natural tendency is to do the same thing. So that brings up a really great point that I want to say to all of you, and that is I think it's important that we cultivate the ability to really listen and be present for others without trying to help them figure things out or to try to fix it. Uh, a lot of times when we're trying to fix something, part of what we're trying to do is calm our own anxiety or... Um, you know, when you love somebody and you care about them and they're struggling in some way, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good for them and it doesn't feel good for you. And so sometimes the desire to try and get in and fix or help is to help make both of us feel better. You'd be surprised at the wisdom that exists within your loved ones if you just listen to them and invite them to talk about what's going on and to share with you what it is um, how they're feeling and what they might think they need. Um, you'd be surprised at how wise people can be. Uh, when in doubt, remember, two ears, one mouth. Use these <laughs> twice as much as you do this, and you'll be in good shape. And, you know, be gentle with yourself, though, Terry. Just recognizing that you're somebody that tends to want to jump in and fix things is half the battle right there. That's really wonderful that you recognize that about yourself. Um, I have a little fly buzzing around me here. Um, yeah, thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, Joel says, beauty can make me cry. You know, Joel, I am really blessed to live in a house on a hill that looks out over a reservoir. And I can't tell you how many times I just give myself permission to stop and like literally just go right up to the windowsill and just stare out at the beauty in the backyard. Just stare out at the beauty out over the reservoir. And there's something about that that is calming and centering, and it brings me right into the present moment, and it allows me to get unstuck and to feel, just feel more connected to something bigger than myself, as well as beautiful music. That does that too. Um, Larry says, um, hi, Larry. I sit quietly in the snow, and it restores my mind. I've even taken naps in the snow. Wow, I love that. You know, I remember one time, Larry, I was snowshoeing in the backyard. As a matter of fact, I wrote about this in Waking Up in Winter because I talked about tamping down a heart in the snow so that Michael would see it out the bathroom window. It was so quiet. It had just snowed, and um, I was snowshoeing in the backyard, and the birds were following me, and there was no noise at all. And I remember feeling like there's something about snow falling and sitting on the earth that just quiets everything. And um, and I could totally see taking a nap in the snow. Taking naps, by the way, another great way to get unstuck and to pull yourself out of a low mood. I don't, I can't tell you how many times 
at the end of the day, if I'm ever in a funky place or even, you know, at night, if I'm thinking about Poupon and I'm feeling sad or Michael and I are talking about how much we miss him and I just suddenly feel like I'm in a slump, I say to myself, it's nothing a good night's sleep can't cure. And sure enough, I'll just go to bed early, get a good night's sleep, and I always wake up feeling better. So whether you take a nap during the day, whether you take a nap in the snow, which I love that idea, or you get to bed early and give yourself a good night's sleep, sleep it's another great way to, um, to uh, get unstuck and to just lift yourself out of a no, low mood. Yeah, Jamie, Jamie says, um, inhale deeply, exhale longer, breathe. Absolutely. Deep breaths down into the belly, holding, and then exhaling slowly through the nose. Do that 10 times and you won't feel like the same person afterwards, I promise you. Um, sunshine will do it without a doubt. Um, <laughs> thank you for smiling back at me, Hawthorne. <laughs> That's very sweet. Classical music. Karen Drucker is wonderful. I love, love, love her um her uh, music is just so beautiful. John says, all of your stuff takes our mind off of things. Change our thoughts, change our vibration and our mood. Absolutely. Um, you know, the book I wrote with Louise Hay, You Can Create an Exceptional Life. In the back, there's a whole list of affirmations. And just using those can make a huge difference. Just repeating affirmations to yourself as a mantra will change your state. Um, Jessica wants to know, how do you listen to a thumb drive in the car? A lot of cars, I don't know how new they need to be, but a lot of cars, if you look in the little, in the glove compartment or in the, um, near where an ashtray would have been or in the compartment in between the seats, they usually have a USB drive and you just literally stick it right in there and, um, you'll be able to listen to it. Um, Yes. So Jamie wants to know, I love to, I'd love to save this. Everything you're sharing is resonating. Is there a way to save this so I can listen over and over again? I know I'll get something from every time. Yes, you will, Jamie. And, um, not only will it be on Facebook, but all of these Facebook lives are uploaded to my YouTube channel at Cheryl Richardson TV. And, um, they're also transcribed for those that are hearing impaired. So you'll be able to see the transcription in a couple of days and you can listen to it there anytime. If you go to my channel, you'll see all my Facebook lives there. Um, yeah, music, everybody, Sarah remembers mixtapes. Good. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Um, yes, Bruja says, I love listening to Bob. I hope he's doing well with his screenwriting. He's doing really well with his screenwriting. That's Bob Olson. Yeah, Sue, smudging, another great thing to do. Lighting incense in a room. Um, I have sage. I just found a bag of sage that I uh, grew in the garden last year. I forgot I had dried it. I put it in a drawer. Um, lighting, you know, uh, smudging, lighting um, sage or uh, uh, there's a couple of other, I can't think of them, cedar and there's something else, but just sh um, smudging the room like the Native Americans would do, right? Using sage to just um, smudge a room absolutely clears the energy for sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Yep. Hike in the mountains. Um, yeah. Jen says, I'm going to start calling myself sweetheart. That's awesome. Okay, good. All right. So anyway, those are some suggestions. Um, um, Kathleen wants to know, can you just copy and paste the link above in and 
MS document, oops, to watch this again. Um, yeah, at the end of this, by the way, I always post any resources I talk about. So I'll put, um, hold on, there we go. I'll put the book with Louise in here and Waking Up in Winter, a link to that, and um, a link to Cheryl Richardson TV. Um, Terry, I know you, you'll grab all of that stuff. So you can create an exceptional life with Louise, Waking Up in Winter, Cheryl Richardson TV. We'll put links to all of that right in here so you'll be able to find it. Um, yes, John says reading new thought books is a great idea as well. You know, I have to tell you last night, um, I was reading, I was rereading, uh, a journal actually by Marion Woodman called Bone. Marion Woodman is a Jungian analyst. She studied with Carl Jung and, uh, Bone is about, um, I think the subtitle is called Dying Into Life and it's about her confronting, um, can uh, cancer when she was diagnosed with cancer and being treated for that. And um, I, I was really, I was so reminded, John, uh, when, the, when I was sort of grappling with this issue about a very old friend who suddenly, you know, came around and wanted my help, um, I was reading her journal last night before I went to bed, and there was one line that just, like, answered everything for me. And I, I remember thinking, this is the power of books. You know, and so many, I've read so many um, New Thought books and all just so many different kinds of books over the years, self-help books. And uh, in that moment when she talked about using her sword of discrimination and making a decision that would honor her self-care uh, in spite of, you know, the guilt that she felt, let's say, or something like that. But there was a way that she put it that I thought, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how one line in a book can change everything. So we really can be uh, uplifted and informed and inspired and healed by uh, what we read without a doubt. And Robin says lighting candles. Uh, I agree with you. And scented candles, changing the scent in the room, um, lighting a candle next to you, having a flower. I want to show you something. Wait a minute. My assistant Lisa today bought me this little gift. Look at this. Can you see this? Uh, ranunculus, ranunculus, I think it's called this flower. I don't know if you can see it well enough, but it is the sweetest little flower. I love it. And um, so I have it right here in my office and I was looking at it earlier before I came on Facebook Live. And I thought, you know, flowers have energy and they give us energy and they lift our spirits. So getting yourself a flower or two or many, is a good idea as well. So those are some of the suggestions I have for getting unstuck, lifting yourself out of a slump, or raising a low mood into a good mood, a better mood. And um, so now I'll take a few minutes to answer any questions, offer some coaching if I may. Feel free to post a question if you have one. Um, uh, let's see. Hi, James. Glad you're here. Um, yeah, going to the beach is another, oh God, going to the beach, I'm telling you, when I do that, it just changes everything, it really does. Um, yeah, and and Chatty says, um, you can just put your hand on your heart and just feel the love within. Be in the abundance of love as you put your hand on your heart. That's a beautiful, beautiful idea as well. Yeah, Sheila says, cleaning the house makes me feel good, it grounds me. It does me too, Sheila. I got that from my mom. My mom does that too. My mom... You know, we'll just, there are ways, I think she loses herself. It's like a form of meditation, cleaning the house. 
I got that from her. I love folding laundry. Um, just getting up and moving, cleaning out a drawer. I've been doing a lot of that lately. That also makes me feel great. Um, laying in the fields near my house, Colleen says, and sleeping in the summer. Um, God, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Meditation absolutely does it. Um, watching the snow with a cup of tea. That sounds good, too. Um, so Anne says, when I was undergoing treatment for breast cancer last year, it was very stressful for me. So I would close my eyes and visualize in my mind my top 10 favorite things, music, people, and or life experiences. I went through every decade of my life and visited all my favorite memories. It was very impactful, empowering, and relieved me of my stress. Beautiful, beautiful suggestion, Anne. Thank you. Um, it's really great. Uh, good, good, good. Yeah, Brenton, it's so true. In fixing, we may not allow the person to get to the bottom. That's true, too. Um, all right. So Laura wants to know, can you speak on how to forgive? Boy, that's like a topic in and of itself. I should probably do a whole Facebook Live on that. And um, not that I'm an expert in forgiveness, um, but I've certainly practiced it. Seriously, I would say, Laura, that for me, one of the first things I've had to do as a, as a decision to forgive somebody is to first and foremost look at um, what, I need to, what I need to learn from the situation, what the situation um, might have presented me with, what opportunities for growth it might have presented me with, um, how I'll use the situation to make me a braver, stronger, more compassionate, loving person. Of course, it depends on the situation. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. But um, I first start by looking at, and also, how do I need to heal? Like, do I need to do some therapy? Was I really, really wounded by somebody? Um, what kind of healing work do I need to do so that I can feel more and more complete with the situation and therefore um, be able to move towards forgiveness. So that's the first step. Forgiving is not an intellectual pursuit. It's really a whole person, whole body experience. And it starts with our own individual healing and exploring what the event or the experience means to us. And then it's about being willing to forgive, uh, being open to the conversation about forgiveness. I know sometimes um, when my forgiveness has related to other people, I became, have become aware of the fact that um, my fear of forgiving uh, somebody is related to the fear I have of getting myself back into the same situation again, which goes back to how do I need to grow or how, do, how can I heal from the situation so that I feel strong in my own two feet? Um, I think praying for forgiveness to enter your heart is a uh, is a wonderful thing to do. Even when you're not ready to forgive, just sort of asking life or God or the universe to open your heart to forgive. And um, and also, I think again, depending on the situation, really looking at what kind of wounding or healing might the person, if it's a person. Might the person who hurt you 
um, need? Like, what wounds might they have that they that they were acting from, or what kind of um, you know? Sometimes, if we understand a person's past, we understand the hurt that's been done to them. We remember that hurt people hurt people. Um, sometimes getting connect, getting a better understanding of what was going on for the other person can help us to feel more compassionate. And, um, and I think most of all, you need to give yourself time. You know, forgiveness takes time. It takes as long as it needs. And trying to rush it means you're not giving yourself a chance to really fully, in a full body way, forgive the person. You're just trying to get over the discomfort you feel. And whatever discomfort you feel about the situation is the work you're being invited to do yourself. And a lot of times forgiveness will follow from that. And it might take a while. It's taken me years to forgive some people. All right, let me see what else we have here. I hope that's helpful. Um, let's see. Hi, Sharon. Practice is definitely... Um, yeah, James says, practice is definitely a good word for forgiveness. I've found that it's a process. And as we're practicing, it takes time to untangle the issue depending on how, the challenge, how challenging the circumstances were. Without a doubt, working with a good therapist is excellent advice. It's worked wonders in my own life. Yeah, I mean, there are some things that we've gone through that really, really need the support of a good therapist. I mean, we can't just work... You know, you can't be treated like crap by somebody and just go, okay, I'm just going to forgive them. I mean, you know, you've got to really, you need to be heard about that and you need to be supported around that. And um, it's important to give yourself the time and to give yourself the gift of support so that you can work through it. Um, okay, let's see. So Terry says, the hardest thing is when an adult child is going through really hard challenges. How can I be there without taking on being too empathic with the pain and hurt? Yeah, that's a tricky one, Terry, especially when we're dealing with loved ones. One time, years ago, somebody said to me, um, I was having a conversation with somebody about how I was really feeling for a friend of mine who was struggling, and um, and I just... You know, I wanted to like not be intrusive and at the same time be supportive. And I heard myself say, I need to stay on this side of the line. And what I realized, Terry, was sometimes when we're dealing with people who are struggling, who are in pain, who are suffering, listening, I think, is always a sure bet, a loving thing to do, just listening. And then sometimes in listening, the sensitive, empathic part of us, empathetic part of us can really um, bleed over into their side of the line, right? Suddenly you're feeling their feelings, you're feeling their experiences. And so when I say to myself, sweetheart, stay on your side of the line, but what I'm saying is don't overthink this, don't jump into their body, like don't, like, you know, turn down that sensitive, empathic part of you so that you can just really be present and listen. And I've had a lot of practice as a coach. I've heard, I've, I've been a witness to people in really tough places. And sometimes what I do, Terry, is I focus on physically, the, my physical presence. So I might be sitting across from you and you might be telling me about something that's really hard and painful. And I will just say to myself, feel your feet on the floor, 
Feel your butt in the chair. Feel your back against the chair. Breathe. Feel your breath going in and out while this person is speaking so that I stay on this side of the line so I don't jump into their experience. Because when you're really sensitive, it's easy to do that. It's why I really limit my exposure to the news because um, a big bird just flew by. Um, I limit my exposure to the news because it's just, I'm too sensitive and it's very easy for me to take on the pain of the world. And so I'm always saying, stay on this side of the line. Um, okay, I hope that's, I hope that's helpful. Let's see. Um, um, <laughs> Mary says, I love your Facebook lives. Any tips on how to attract my ideal man? Yes. I do have some tips, Mary. <laughs> um, I think I wrote about it in The Unmistakable Touch of Grace. So I would encourage you to pick up a copy of that book because I tell the story of how I met my husband, Michael, and I ordered him. <laughs> I really did. I ordered him. So um, I uh, made a list of all of the qualities that I was looking for in a mate. I decided that uh, I had had enough relationships that didn't work out right in my life to know that the person that we primarily share our lives with is one of the most important decisions we make. And I was going to put a lot of time and effort into that decision. So I made a list of the intellectual qualities, the emotional, physical, spiritual, career, financial, like values, uh, his way of thinking, like I just really profiled my ideal partner on a piece of paper. I worked on it every day for seven days, Mary. At the end of a week, I felt like I had a really great ideal profile of a partner. And then I gave it to a couple of close friends and said, here, do me a favor, read this and tell me what you think. Did I miss anything? And they always added something to it. And then I just started reading that every day and I started sharing the um like the five or six or seven highlights of the list with people letting them know that I was looking for that person and um, I also did a treasure map I did a treasure map that really looked at my whole life and I included um I included some pictures of men that um that I found attractive and I remember I had a picture of one man with a dog because I wanted a man who loved animals too and um uh, I met my husband Michael like two weeks later and I met him through a personal ad in a magazine because back then there was no such thing as internet dating and um, and the the whole story of how we met is really quite magical and I won't do it justice telling it here but if you read the unmistakable touch of grace you'll read about the process that I went through and then what happened when we met so that's um that's some tips that I have. And keep your standards high. That's the other thing I would say. Don't lower your standards if you're not meeting anybody. People are always quick to say, oh, your standards are too high. Well, you don't want to be snotty and like, you know, a diva and difficult. But you also want to have high standards. And that means it might take you longer to find somebody. But when you find them, it's going to be awesome. And I've been with Michael now for 20, it'll be 25 years this October since our very first date after talking on the phone, after leaving him a voicemail message, um, after finding him in a magazine. That's why I say I ordered him from a magazine. <laughs> All right, let's see, maybe one more before we finish, if we have one more. Um, 
Yeah, so Dawn says, the topic's exactly what I needed, good. I'm grateful that I know about self-care. You've taught me so much in listening to this part of my self-care. Also, my best friend called me today as if she instinctively knew I needed that. Thank you, Cheryl. Oh, that's great. That's so great. I love when that happens. People just sort of know, right? Hey, Shelly, how you doing? Um, yeah, Susan wants to know, does that process work for attracting an ideal job? You betcha. I've used that process for a very long time. Um, I used, I've used it for, with clients for businesses, attracting ideal customers and clients, attracting the best job. Hi, John. Um, attracting all kinds of things into your life. You know, really the point is this. Most of us will say, I really want a new job, but we never sit down and really craft out what it is we're looking for. We just kind of have an idea in our head. Same thing with a partner, same thing with clients. And if you own a business and you've had it for a long time, at least once a year, it's really important to sit down and look at who all of, take, make a list of your 10 top customers, your 10 top clients, the 10 people that you love um, doing business with. And then you begin to look at their qualities. You know, are they men or are they women? Are they certain ages? Are they from a certain area? Um, uh, what kinds of values do they have? What are their goals and their needs? Like, what is it that makes them so awesome to work with? Make a list of all of the qualities of character for these 10 people or these 10 companies. And then you start to look for themes and patterns and you can pick out five to seven characteristics and that becomes your updated ideal customer profile or your ideal client profile or your ideal mate profile. And by the way, I forgot to say that if you do this for um, an ideal mate, let's say, it's really important that you stop and ask yourself after you look at this profile that you've worked on for a couple of weeks, whether or not you match that list. Because too often, we are looking for people that have qualities and experiences that we long for but don't yet have. And that's not how it works, people. Like attracts like. And so the great thing about creating an ideal customer profile or even an, an ideal mate profile is you get to then look at it and say, okay, how do I need to grow to become more like this list? And you also need to get about doing that work because that's going to help you to draw into your life the same kind of person as well. One of the things I think about when I look at Michael, you know, Michael and I, our values are so aligned and they have been for a long time. And I think, it, I think it's because I was really clear about my values. I was clear about what I was looking for in a partner. Michael would tell you I was clear because I practically interviewed him the first date that we had. And I knew I wanted to get married. I knew that I wanted to grow, that growing and evolving was a priority for me. I knew I needed a partner who would go to therapy if we needed to go to therapy, who was going to work on his own personal development. I had been in relationships with enough men who weren't interested in that and it didn't work and I wasn't going to do it again. So I asked a lot of these questions up front. This is the great thing about an ideal profile, whether you use it for a partner or a customer or a client or whatever is, now you've got lots of good questions to ask potential new business uh, people or potential new partners because you know what you're looking for. 
right? So I was able to say to Michael, so how do you feel about marriage counseling? Or first of all, how do you feel about marriage? First date, I'm asking him this. How do you feel about now? You know, a lot of people would say you shouldn't do that. Well, Michael was actually a very curious guy and he was talking to me about stuff like this. So I figured, what the hell? And I just basically said to him, you know, how do you feel about therapy? You know, and he had been in therapy before he said, and he's a therapist, <laughs> which doesn't always mean that's a good thing. You want to make sure they've also been doing therapy. Um, you know, how do you feel about children? How do you feel about animals? Um, how do you feel about a woman who wants to succeed in the world? Um, how do you feel if your partner out succeeds you in your career? Like these are all of the things that we talked about in the first few weeks of dating because I thought, you know what, I'm not wasting. I was in my early 30s at the time and I thought I'm not wasting time dating somebody or getting close to somebody who doesn't share some of the same values as I do. And I was willing to um, to not have it, you know, I was willing to just not have the dates work, work out. I mean... Like I said, some people would say that's like maybe a little bit too much um, in the beginning, but I really took, I took Michael's lead too because he was very curious and we could talk about some of these things. So um, anyway, uh, that's, that's my idea about, uh, yes, that's my idea about ideal meeting a mate and ideal customers even. Um, all right, let's see. Okay, I think, um, yeah, Joel says it's easier on the universe to supply you with what you want if, if you give it details. Absolutely right. That's right. And when we have the details, we keep them in our mind. So we're always, you know, we're putting those vibes out. We're always looking for those characteristics, so those qualities. Okay, I went a little longer than I normally do, but you all have been great. Thank you so much for being with me. Um, I forgot to say in the very beginning that the retreat is sold out. Uh, the May retreat is sold out. So if you want to be on the wait list for the October retreat, because that they just go so fast, um, make sure that you um, will put a link in this post as well, and you can go and put yourself on the list for October, and you'll be one of the first to um, be notified when we open registration for um, for that the next retreat. And I hope to see you there because they're really, really special. They're, they're a lot of fun. So, yeah, thank you, everybody. Thanks for being here with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all your, your good um, contribution. Um, I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> Krista says, I saw you two at Gibson's. You're like homecoming king and queen. That's very cute. <laughs> it's very sweet, Krista. I did a talk at Gibson's Bookstore in Concord, New Hampshire, which is an awesome, awesome bookstore. And... Um, and Michael was with me. I love having him with me. It's always great. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful week. I will be with you again next week. So make sure that you're subscribed to CherylRichardson.com, the newsletter, or just look up at the sign up button and you'll know when the next Facebook Live is. Okay. All right. Have a good one. And if you're in the Northeast, good luck with the snowstorm. <laughs> Bye.